News Talk 1110-993-WBT, the Pete Callender Show, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Got a tweet from Ray. It says, Pete, I think you're dancing around the obvious. The state and the NCAE fear this may take funds away from them to fund their bureaucracy. If there is something they have demonstrated in the last year, it's that they are more concerned with themselves than the children. Uh, yeah, look, that's that is a component here on the opportunity scholarship front. Absolutely, I don't think. See, like, I try not to ascribe motives to everybody, but I think the motives for the NCAE leadership and their allies in the Democratic Party, um, I think that's pretty obvious. And I think Ray's exactly right that. Uh, the opportunity scholarships allow kids to get out of the schools, which then means you don't need as many teachers in those schools, which means then the NCAE is not going to get as many potential members that they can then siphon money out. Speaking of siphoning money, right, that they can siphon money out of the paychecks of the uh, of the the teachers uh, to then use to promote uh, Democratic causes and uh, Democratic politicians and uh, actual socialists. Like if you look at the ranks of the NCAE, which is the North Carolina Association of Educators, the teachers union, don't call it a union, union, right? And the reason I say that, by the way, I've been saying that for years. The reason I say that is because they they used to. They're not so much anymore because the, the folks who got in under the last NCAE election cycle, they are co- uh, uh, communists, if not socialists. I mean, they are. Yeah, they are. I mean, like. They participate in these protests. They wear shirts that say it like they do the red fist, you know, taken from the communist uh, imagery uh, library of icons like they they are. okay. they are socialists and some of them are, you know, probably full blown communists. So uh, they're part of the labor movement. And that's where you see a lot of the people. uh, That's where they go in. And that's what they do. Right. They're in the labor movement because of their political philosophy, which is socialism. And look, again, I, I. I understand how people hear that and like, oh, there's Pete, a right winger just accusing people of socialism. Now, I come from Winthrop University, political science, not, well, it was my minor. And I had another minor, but they wouldn't give a double minor at that time, which I'm not at all bitter about. But I was a mass communication broadcast major and a minor in poli sci and philosophy. Okay. So when I talk about socialism, I'm talking about the political ideology, the philosophy of socialism. And the, the people who adhere to these ideas, they are self-described as such. I don't use it as a pejorative. And if it does have any kind of negative connotation, I would submit that that is a function, a byproduct, a result of it being just a terrible philosophy. Okay. And uh, yeah, like that's, it's an awful, awful philosophy, top to bottom. Uh, roots to branch, and I loathe it. And I think it has been incredibly destructive, and it has cost, what, over 100 million people their lives, if not more. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't have a lot of nice things to say about socialism. It has a track record so profoundly dismal that only academics could celebrate it. Um, so the people who took over the NCAE in the last election cycle, they are of this bent, Right. Um, and they do not represent uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of, uh, I think the last numbers, because they won't say how many members they actually have, which is a sure sign that it's not a lot. It's somewhere, it, if it's double digit percentages of the, um, 
total teacher population in the state, that would be surprising. <laughs> like 10%. I think it's like, I think the highest number I've seen it estimated at is somewhere like 10 to 14%, somewhere in that neighborhood. That's it. So I call it a union. Don't call it a union is because it's an association. They do not have collective bargaining rights in the state of North Carolina, right? It's a, we're a right to work state, no collective bargaining. And so for years they would pretend we're not a union until they hired some guy away from the what ACLU nor not ACLU, the uh, AFL-CIO, or maybe he came from the NEA. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. I think he came from the NEA, uh, the national union. And, uh, when he got to town, he talked about how it's great to be part of like the union here. <laughs> so then you had uh, what's his one of the, well, I'm not going to name him. One of the guys one in the leadership, and he talked about union activities. So every now and again, the mask slips, but they are a little bit more open about it now. They're a union, okay? They are a union, and their union is for the teachers, not for the kids. And I'm not saying that as an insult. I'm saying like that is the it's the association of educators, right? They are representing the teachers that are part of their group. And look, if, you know, if push comes to shove and it's the teachers against the kids, right, we know who's getting shoved. So, <laughs> I mean, honestly, like when they, they were debating, do we go back to school or not? And, you know, what did uh, Tamika Walker Kelly, the head of the union, she's like, oh, there's no such thing as learning loss. Okay, well, uh, Statewide test scores might beg to differ. Back to the editorial. Well, back to the response to this editorial. Again, this is Dr. Robert Lupke from the John Locke Foundation. Talk. He, he has now talked to the editorials. Uh, I mean, this is just misrepresentation of the print. They're just dishonest arguments that the editorial board is making to attack the Opportunity Scholarship Program. Okay? Because they don't want parents to have the choice. They don't want, they don't like this idea that people can opt out of the K-12 government school system. No, I don't know why that is. I don't. I Like, I don't know why these progressives that run these newspapers, I don't know why they don't want parents to have the ability to get their kids out of a failing school. You'll have to ask them about it. Their answer is always, we need to just give more money to the schools. That's what they're, the answer is always that. But what about the kid who's in a failing school right now? What do you do about that kid right now? How do you get that kid help right now? Well, you just pass a bigger budget. That's going to help the kid right now? The kid who didn't learn to read because of years of neglect inside the system and money is going to solve this, which, of course, it's, it, it doesn't. In fact, once you get to a certain level, it's right about $8,000 per pupil expenditure. Your return on investment goes down. is negligible. In other words, if you spend $20,000 to educate a kid per year versus $10,000 per year to educate the kid, there's really no difference in the outcome. Well, that's because we don't measure the correct thing. And this is one of the, these, you're talking to a profession that literally grades people, right? That measures performance. That's the whole point here. Right? You're measuring performance. You're measuring educational achievement. You're measuring progress. And they don't know how to do this for themselves. They want us to believe. We can't possibly hold ourselves to any kind of performance-based metrics. <laughs> and by the way, let me be clear here also, because when people hear me talk about this, they think, oh, you're bashing teachers. I'm actually not. I've been bashing the union. Um, <laughs> no, no. 
I think teachers, good teachers, should be paid six figures. It's an art form. Really good teachers, they should be paid a lot of money, but I'm not going to pay the bad ones the same amount. You can't make me agree to that. You cannot make me pay bad teachers the same amount as the good ones. I refuse to be part of that kind of a deal. Saw Dave Matthews' band at Verizon Wireless. Well, now, no, it was Blockbuster, I think, at that time. Blockbuster Pavilion. <laughs> All righty. All right. $150 million has been diverted, siphoned away from the school system for these opportunity scholarship blah, blah, vouchers. Blah. Right. That's the uh, position of the McClatchy Board of Editors. Super smart set. They know best, even for your kid. If you want to take your kid out of that school that's failing your kid, put them in the school that they do very well in, where they thrive. You're an idiot, and you're just siphoning money away from the schools. So uh, let's not expand it. Let's kill it, which, by the way, the Democrats, if they ever get back in control of the General Assembly, they intend to kill the voucher program. They have said it. The governor has proposed it in every budget he does. So don't think for a minute that the Opportunity Scholarship Program survives the first meeting with the Democrat majority at the legislative level. Um, $150 million diverted, siphoned away, right? Here's what Bob uh, Lubke writes at the John Locke Foundation. Since 2015, the first year of the program, that's it's only been around six years, North Carolina has spent $63 billion dollars in general fund appropriations on K-12 public education. Six years, $63 billion. Over the same time, money spent on the scholarship program, $150 million, which equates to 0.00238%. Or 24 one-hundredths of a percentage. That's the money we're talking about. $150 million out of $63 billion in six years. And we're supposed to believe this is the reason why schools aren't performing? This is like, oh, if only we had that $150 million. Oh, man, we totally would have everybody at grade level. Give me a break. Uh, The criticism is that they will indoctrinate these schools, indoctrinate students uh, with biblical worldviews at Christian schools. That a high percentage of schools happen to be Christian is a function of parental choice, not state action. Parents are choosing to send their kids to these schools. And if you have a problem with that, then you've got a problem with Christian schools. Right? That's your problem. You have a problem with kids getting a biblical education, a biblical-based Christian-based education. That's your real beef, right? Which, by the way, that's an admission that the point of public education is counter-programming to Christianity, is it not? Sounds like it to me. If you're saying, oh, we can't have you use this scholarship money to go and choose a Christian school where you might be taught a biblical worldview, you need to go to the school that's what? Not teaching a biblical worldview. That's counter-programming. Finally, these ongoing clashes highlight a significant problem with public education that's at the core of this school choice argument, which is the way public education is funded and delivered in America. So in the U.S., the government funds, regulates, and delivers public education. 
The reality is schools address deeply personal needs and are asked to cultivate social values and civic ideals and transmit culture. These realities reflect deep differences within our society, yet the state is not neutral. This is really the core of the entire problem. It really is. Lubke is exactly right, and he nails it. He says that schools cultivate social values, civic ideals, and they transmit culture. And there's almost a denial by people on the left that this is the case. When people on the right are like, whoa, 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 what are you doing transmitting that kind of culture to my kid? And the left, we don't do any such thing. What are you talking about? We're just teaching mathematics. Well, that's not true because nobody's at grade level in mathematics. So we know you're not doing that. <laughs> right? What was the quote from some social justice activist teacher she said something like, oh, it's okay that the kids don't know how to read. At least they got an education in, you know, street protest or some other nonsense like that. When, when the schools are populated with, with this kind of ideology, parents are going to push back. That's what we have seen. They're pushing back. They are, they're rejecting your view of what you want society to be because schools are cultivating social values and civic ideals, and transmitting culture. And our society is deeply divided on these topics. And so when you use your school platform to promote or convey these certain mores, these shifting norms, when you, when you use your position to do it, when you use the government schools to do it, you've got the other side of the argument that is not going to suffer it any longer. And it's become so obvious that the state is not behaving in a neutral fashion. Then you have this story by Dan Bishop, the the legislation, Dan Bishop. He has introduced uh, the mask off act and the no corrupt racist training act. I mean, it's not going to go anywhere. This is up in DC in Congress. And so Democrats control the uh, the House up there, and so you know that's going to be dead on arrival. I'm assuming, but it would expand school choice for students across America if they're facing mask mandates or classroom instruction based on critical race theory. See, this is what this is what the right needs to do: is to play offense, play offense, make them defend their position, because. Like it rarely ever happens. They, they're the left is always on offense, forward, right? It's always moving forward, and the right because they're all about preserving or conserving the norms, the status quo. It's like no, no, all these systems are, you know, they were developed and adopted for reasons, and so we shouldn't just like abandon them all willy nilly just for the latest rage or or uh, fashion trend or something. You know, we need to think long and hard before we start messing with a lot of these things that have built uh, or that our society is built around right we're on defense go on offense offense is this offense is hey you know what school choice for everybody you don't like the mass policies get a voucher you don't like critical race theory uh curriculum get a voucher you don't like the 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 culture of the school it's riddled with crime get a voucher that's offense
wait a minute. Didn't Winterville say yesterday he was going to the Rolling Stones concert? Didn't he say he had tickets? He said he was getting tickets. But he's up in D.C. today. Yeah. Oh, I was going to... Oh, I just ruined it. I was going to play Guess Where Brett's Going to Be. And I forgot. I already... Spoiler alert. Oh, is he there? All right. Brett Winnable. What's going on? Hey. Man? So, all right. So, so, I was listening to you yesterday, and I thought I heard yes, you sir. say you were going to go see the Stones. Yeah. All right. Tomorrow. Oh, yeah, that makes I'm sense. In, I'm in D.C. today. Right. Because that's what I, th- I was like. That does, how is he going to go see the Stones? Because they're playing tonight, right? I guess they're doing, what, two nights? Oh, it's tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow. Oh. Well, there you go. Well, now it all makes I sense. I sound so good coming back to me, by the way. You do. You sound very clear. It's a very... It's I sound a, amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm getting myself twice. It's I've heard that... <laughs> so I think he's... So I don't know. What I think he wants the mix minus adjusted. <laughs> I think that's his way of saying that he needs the mix minus adjusted. Are we good you, to go now? If you How saw now? where I was sitting right now, by the way, if you saw where... You wouldn't believe where I'm sitting right now. Really? I Paint the picture. You I think believe. I might. Let's see. Okay. I am sitting, I'm on top of the building that the Fox News Bureau is in here in D.C. on Capitol Street, right? I am looking directly at the most beautiful view of the Capitol, and you would never know it was so divided in there right now that they were just <laughs> slinging at each other. It just looks so, it looks so wonderful, so beautiful. Oh, it's that's just awesome. nuts. No, that's great. So you're up there for the, uh, is this the, the, uh, the, the this fire. is the uh, hold their feet to the fire yeah, yeah, yeah. where we got to, we're getting all the sirens and the mayhem of the city and it's Nat really sound. remarkable. It's Nat sound. It's never a lot of Nat sound. Nat sound. There goes Pelosi. They're taking her away. <laughs> she can't get the deal. All right. Uh, so so what? So you so Radio Row is literally up on a rooftop tonight. Uh, it is. Yeah. It is. It's on a rooftop uh, above the uh, Fox Bureau. Yeah. And we got great stuff. I, I've got amazing guests uh, that are just going to blow people's minds. So it, it's, it's going to be a stay tuned kind of an event here. So for folks who aren't aware, they do these types of events. Uh, is, is it fair? Right. F A I R. Right. Federation for American Immigration Reform. Right. And they didn't do one last year. Oh, they did not. Okay. No, because of the because the COVID. Yeah. COVID. So, but it's cool because they'll bring so they bring a bunch of people up there, and then they can uh, you you get access to all these folks who just kind of drop on by, so you never know who's going to show up. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That is correct. So we got we got sheriffs, we got border patrol people, we've got I've got I've got the foremost uh, experts in drug trafficking, uh, in gang fighting. I mean, just you name it. These guys are uh, they're they're just unbelievable. I've got folks coming on who've been down in Del Rio. It's just going to be a, a jam packed program. Cool. Uh, that's the Brett Winterbill show. Stay tuned for that. Well, it's not like there's really anything going on at the border as of late. So it's good that you're able to get some stuff to talk about. <laughs> there you go. It's all quiet. They cleaned it up. They cleaned up Bidenville. Yeah, that's right. That's true. Bidenville. I heard that's great. Uh, all right. Uh, Brett Winterbill show coming Thank up you. at three. Stay tuned for that on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Um, so we're talking about the uh, the school system. And the uh, the opportunity scholarships, but it really is it's a it's a microcosm of an issue that really explains so much about not just uh, education, but also the entire divided society that we find ourselves in now. You've got folks that do not want to. All right, the government school system and the model, right? It's no longer, if it ever did, it's no longer serving a lot of the people who fund it and who have traditionally supported it. And this is not just the school system. This is a lot of our institutions. The people who have been the most, you know, 
pro this institution, whether it's, you know, law enforcement or the judiciary or it's the uh, the press or whatever, like these are the institutions. These are typically conservatives, people who look to conserve, preserve these institutions. And they don't have any trust in the institutions any longer. And so moving away from the model that we use for, in this case, K-12 education, is indicative of the shifting cultural schism, right? Some see the schools as a uh, a tool for uh, you know making good citizens and uh, being productive members of society. Others see it as a tool for statism, right? You get more kids that go through the system. They go through uh, they go to college that creates jobs, usually right state supported uh, colleges, government jobs. Others see it as the avenue to you know make a bunch of money go to college, get a good income after you graduate. Others saw it as just part of society and they never really even questioned it. It's just, you know, you go to school and that's it. And I think a lot of people, for a lot of people, actually, that's probably been the case. It's not even anything that anybody really considered. But now you've got schools that are advancing a cultural uh, construct. Right? You got people who are essentially fomenting a revolution. And they, they talk about revolutionary ideas they see themselves as this if you look at their social media footprint as i have over the years the people for example at the ncae the leadership the people that won the union election don't call it a union but the union uh they won the election and you look at their social media feeds and they are revolutionary self-described and self-celebrated as such i take them at their word for that stuff i do and what's happening now is you have people who are rejecting that idea of what they want society to be. We are not interested in your view of your uh, of the destination here. We're not interested. I've heard you. It's not that I'm ignoring you. I've heard it. I disagree. And no amount of you trying to reframe it or recast it in a different, fuzzier, warmer kind of light, I don't care to hear it because I disagree. I don't want what you're pitching. You can't act surprised now that people are rejecting the ideology because, frankly, it's not popular. And so when you make your ideology the focus of the school setting, you have a divided society that sees it because, as Bob Lukey, uh, Lubke talked about in the piece of the John Locke Foundation, that the schools transmit culture. They do. I mean, every, I mean think about it. F- football. Right? High school football. It is an institution. Right? That is a transmission of culture in America. Basketball in this state, North Carolina, from high school through college, right? That is transmission of culture, and it occurs in the government K-12 school model. That's where that stuff uh, grows. So don't tell me that, oh, this, is, this isn't anything about culture. We're just teaching, you know, the three R's. You know you're not. You're transmitting culture, and now you've got people in the society at large that don't like that culture that you are transmitting. Sorry, I'm looking for the story. It was in the stack of stuff here about the uh, the sign, the white sign on the uh, on the water fountain. <laughs> as if as if Union County Schools hasn't been going through enough. Yeah, here it is. And there was a sign. On a water fountain, 
at Piedmont High in Union County. And uh, it said white, all capital letters, placed on a drinking fountain in the school. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Um, Yeah, it's just definitely not a good image. Not a good image you want to be projecting there. Um, Now, it didn't say whites only, but it's pretty close. And, of course, everybody rushes ahead with their uh, preconceived notions. Actually, though... What it turned out to be was uh, a che- it was a cheerleader's fault. Cheerleader, they apparently the sign was uh, like left on the floor, and then somebody saw it and then picked it up and and put it on the water fountain so it wouldn't be on the floor, and so somebody would see it. Mission accomplished there. Somebody saw it and they took a picture, I guess, and the thing went viral and everybody got outraged and oh, they're saying there's a white water fountain. No, actually, it's a, the, the school colors are uh, blue and white. <laughs> so they say blue and white, you know, and they get people to cheer with the signs, you know. I mean, that's what I'm told. Yeah. And so they are used. The sign in question is one of the cheer signs that's used at athletic activities. During practice, a cheer sign was left outside the gym on the floor. It was picked up and placed on a water fountain. It was not, it was not intentional. This is this is how stupid we are. Oh, um, missing laundry, which gosh, we can all we can all identify with this, right? Missing laundry. It's a national story now. Talking about this guy Brian Laundry. I mean, like, okay, so we all know, right? Do, do we still have to do the whole like person of interest? Like, oh yeah, he's just a person of interest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all. Totally just a person of interest. I mean, come on. Dog Dog the Bounty Hunter is looking for a person of interest. Yeah, that that's that's what he does. That's what Dog the Bounty Hunter does. <laughs> I mean, when he's not, you know, hunting bounties, he's looking for people of interest. He's putting together a coffee table book. <laughs> no, he's looking for a suspect. Give me a break. What am I missing here? By the way. For, I called it too. Like I have not covered this story because generally I don't do the whole, you know. Oh my gosh! Look at the media is covering this shiny object, and then how dare you look at this shiny object that I'm stuffing in front of your face? You're a racist for only caring about this white girl's shiny object. So I don't really pay. Like I don't go all in on these types of, uh, uh, you know, true crime stories as they're happening. I mean, this is a murder mystery. Who done it? Oh my gosh! But everybody knows who done it which makes it really easy. It's like, this is the puzzle everybody can solve. Now, I don't know that. This is this is not a court of law. Innocent till proven guilty, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, I'm thinking the guy totally did it, right? I mean, right? What am I missing? Like, the most obvious explanation is the real, ex- is the truth, right? It's really what happened. Like, hey, they go off together in the van, they're driving across country. They're posting. And by the way, when people are like, oh, the only reason that this is a story is because she's a pretty white girl. Like, okay, first off, that does help that she's attractive. It does. Absolutely. That helps. Okay. Does help. Number two, the real reason why this is such a big story is because they have so much video. The B-roll is just, it's like voluminous here. TV needs the images. This is what my old professor, Haney Howell, 
uh, down at Winthrop University used to say was the nice thing about television is you get to use pictures. The worst part about television is that you have to use pictures. So if you're telling a story and you've got their entire trip across the country on video, right, and still shots, and so you could just keep using all of these images to tell the story, and then not to mention the fact that it got resolved, like, pretty quickly. Like, oh, my gosh, where is this, like, where's the girl? And then we found her, right? It was it happened pretty fast, so it keeps everybody interested, and it's it crosses all of these states, so you've got people got all these connections. Oh, they drove through our state, you know? And, of course, you have the rise of the true crime genre in, like, podcasting. And I, what is the deal with women watching, like, the true crime stuff? I'm not saying it's strictly women. I'm not saying it's only women. But, like, it's a huge thing among the ladies. I I, I don't <laughs> I don't get it. My, I asked Christy because she loves this stuff. And I asked Christy, and she's like, well, this is so I learned – how to uh, how to spot stuff. That's what she's like. So this is like her her field research. She claims like this is so she knows what to do in the event. Like and the one thing she always says like you never go to the second location. I'm like okay, but you've been saying that like since I met you like twenty years ago. Is that the only thing you've learned after twenty years of watching forensic files? Is don't go to the second location. So what you're saying is, so like last week we talked about Washington D.C. being a great dating town or whatever. I've, I've been doing this dating thing all wrong. I should just you know invite a girl over to watch B-roll of yeah. No, you need <laughs> of, to of the you story. need to do a true crime podcast, ah. but not in a creepy way that communicates or conveys the idea that you're like learning how to do the true crime. Right, right, right. But just like. You are a true crime podcaster, kind I'm of. I'm just a, following it. Right. Right. Like, what's his face? The voice guy, like Stacy Keach for Forensic Files or whatever <laughs> the show he does, or the other guy. Who is the voice? Oh, I'm drawing a blank on on the on his uh, on his name. Anyway, yeah, the Forensic Files is like, that's the big one. Um, but, I mean, there's so many of these things now. So, yeah, you got to get yourself like a, a true crime podcast. I'm taking notes right now. You're not, though. I can see you. <laughs> So not not credible. You got to be credible if you're going to do a true crime podcast. Just saying. And some of the podcasts out there are awful. Just awful. So what you're saying is Matt Harris is a, is a very popular man right now? Matt Harris's podcast has the last, <laughs> like, he told me his thing's like 100,000 downloads. I think he had to create, like, a new Facebook uh, like page just for it or something. He should have, absolutely, yeah. I did a podcast for 18 months, and it got to, like, half a million. 18 months it took me. He's probably he's probably got more than I do. Probably at this point. <laughs> so there are so all of these factors play a role in making this story a you know it's a summertime story. This was like remember remember before nine eleven before people don't remember. You know what the big story was before nine eleven happened? Do you even remember nine eleven? I remember nine eleven. I don't remember anything before. What was 9/11? the huge story of the summer? I don't remember. Chandra Levy. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Gary Condit, Chandra Levy, missing intern, or and she turned up dead, right? Like, that's... Yeah. That was the big story of the summer. So this guy, Missing Laundry, he's uh, now apparently on the Appalachian Trail. Not like in a Mark Stanford kind of way, but um, he's like literally, uh, they're thinking he's hiking the Appalachian Trail. Which, look, hey, Eric Robert Rudolph was able to hide, like, 
almost literally across the street from the people looking for him for like years. So, uh, yeah, you can do it if you know the area. But I'm not so sure. Look, there are a lot of people that come from Florida and New York. So this guy, he's from New York, went to Florida. Now he's a halfback. He's going to make he's going to go to the mountains like, dude. I I don't know what it is about these Floridians that go up to the mountains. I don't understand it. Like when I was living up there for eight years, like there are so many people, the halfbacks, they go New York to Florida, like, oh, this is so hot and humid. And they go like, hey, this is not bad. We love the mountains. There's so many people from Florida in the mountains in North Carolina. I don't understand it. But dude, like it could be pretty brutal in those mountains. And if you're from Florida, like the people there, like Eric Robert Rudolph was from there. So like there was always this like belief that people were helping him out, like leaving food out for him and stuff like that. And then they found him like, you know, scavenging in a in a dumpster and it was like, okay, well maybe people weren't feeding him. But uh the like I don't think the locals are gonna be looking to feed a, a, a halfback. Just just a heads up. If you're listening, just a heads up. They're not gonna take too kindly to another Floridian prowling around and they're going to know what you look like because you're kind of all over the tv you know but so was eric robert rudolph but he was also a trained outdoorsman like he actually knew how to like survive out there so missing laundry well we'll see what happens yeah i think uh i think he hightailed it and i think i'm gonna just just speculation i'm thinking mom and dad may have helped him too or maybe one maybe mom all right Winterville's up next. Stay tuned. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.